that in it you have given all things needful for life and godliness, that we can know how to live in this world and we can know how to uh, follow uh, the steps of your Son as we study your word. And so we pray that you would make it a light into our path and a lamp into our feet this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As you will recall, I did not get all the way through 2 Corinthians chapter 4 last week, and so I'm going to continue and finish out the chapter this week, today. Uh, I will go ahead and read the whole chapter this morning, since one, it's not very long, and two, it will help us to have context for uh, the things that I'll be saying about the last uh, six or eight verses. So, here we go. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Just a minute here. But if our gospel be hid, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the, glo- of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we, not, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts, to give the light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, I also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay, now I'm going to go forward up to where we (coughs) left off last week. So all the way up to verse 10. I can get there. 9 and 10. There we go. So this is where we left off last week. So um, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus the life also of Jesus may be manifest in our body. You remember from last week that Paul was talking about himself, 
and his co-workers in the ministry who traveled around with him as uh, Silas, Silvanus, Timothy, and Titus, who had gone to Corinth with Paul's first letter, and maybe others. And then secondarily also of uh, others who may be uh, sincerely uh, ministering for Christ. And then because Paul told us uh, and told the believers, be ye followers or imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. And we're all to imitate the Lord. And so the, the, um, the characteristics that Paul displayed, we ought to try to display too. And the believers should. Uh, all believers should. And then also that all believers have some degree of ministry to one degree or another. Now, of course, all believers are not uh, in a full-time ministry as the Apostle Paul was, where he was traveling. And, of course, even he worked uh, on the side as a tent maker. Uh, He said he worked with his hands so he wouldn't be a burden to the churches. So, um, you know, one may do other work in order to earn one's bread and cheese. Welcome. Um, Bread and cheese is a figurative statement. We eat other things, but it's an, it's an old English expression. To earn one's living. Uh, because sometimes we want some tacos and, and good stuff like that, and other good things. But anyway, one may work at other jobs also, but um, you know, there are those who, who have given themselves primarily to the ministry of the gospel. Uh, God is called to that. and But all of us, God is called to be witnesses for him, to let our uh, light shine before men. They may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. And so our ministry might be just to our family. If we are, uh, if God has made us uh, a husband or a father, uh, we have a ministry of, of leading our family and hoping, uh, and, and indeed our duty is to lead them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we may have a ministry also to fellow workers which might be showing them the love of God, living that out in our lives and showing them that God can, can keep us and make us happy and give us, uh, bless us in, in whatever circumstances we meet with, as we see in this scripture. So to that degree, Paul is saying, who, you know, who is always caring about in the body? Well, that's he and his fellow workers are doing that. Other, other uh, full-time ministers, but also all Christians since we have a ministry uh, to some degree or another. And he says, you know, he's saying that um, just as uh, the the violent death which the Lord Jesus died is one which we Christians are ready to meet for for the testimony of the Lord Jesus at any time. Now here in America, where most of us have lived most of our lives, we have been unusually blessed. We have just had it good. One could almost say we're spoiled, although I like it. Namely, in this wise, that rarely have we in America had to fear the prospect of violent death for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, we might um, fear violent death from an an automobile wreck or, or from crime on the streets, but usually not for our testimony as Christians. But there are people in the world today who are facing the prospect of death and some are being martyred in places like Nigeria and um, various places in Africa and Asia where the believers um, are, you know, 
delivered to death for Jesus' sake. But that in these times, when we suffer, and while we may not, we don't suffer that yet, now we may come to face full-scale persecution in America. We can pray that that would not be the case, but we might. But even without that, um, we do face various kinds of sufferings because we live in this veil of sorrows, this, this sin-cursed world where there is suffering and disease and sickness and death and injury and all those things. And so we suffer sometimes. And when we do, uh, the life of Jesus is more manifest in us. That is an opportunity for us. Again, not one that we seek and not one that I am eager to experience, but when we do experience hardship and we experience suffering, it's then that the life of Jesus can shine through in us more clearly. It's again, it's like a light in a dark place. You know, um, maybe if you notice with your cell phone, um, if it's on, uh, even if it's sometimes even if it's on adaptive light setting. You're outside, and it doesn't seem like it's an unusually sunny day, yesterday, for example, and you just try to look at what time it is on your cell phone, and you can't read it, at least if you're, if you're me, if you have my eyes. But you go inside, and you light it on, it lights up the room, and uh, light shines darker, in, in a, light shines brighter in a dark place. There we go. So in verse 12, he says, so then death is working in us, but life in you which I find one of the most difficult verses in this chapter to understand. One meaning is that some Christians may suffer persecution while others may be at ease, and that's true. It just mentioned that some Christians in some parts of the world are suffering for their faith, whereas we suffer very little relatively for our faith. The the level of persecution, you know, if if on a scale of 1 to 100, we're probably around a 3 or a 4 or a 5 here in America. There are some professions, some jobs that they, you will not be hired to if you are a Christian, but we suffer so little. We have it so good. We ought to be very thankful for that, by the way. But also, I can see that, you know, the apostles are suffering this day's things. They're going around preaching, and because they're going around preaching, they're in constant danger of perhaps being put to death for the testimony of the Lord Jesus. And we will hear a little bit. I will I will mention to you some of the things that Paul had suffered. He eventually did suffer death for preaching the gospel of Christ, for the testimony of Christ. So they were, in a sense, death is working in us. He said those who are preaching the gospel. But life is working in the believers. That new spiritual life is being created in them as they believe what Paul and his co-workers are preaching, and they believe that, they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Spiritual life begins in them, and then it grows in them. And so uh, that is true. And of course, then they begin to share the gospel, and both are at work at the same time. And, and of course, you could point out, and it would be exactly right to say, but do not Paul and his fellow uh, Christian workers, do not they have spiritual life in them? Of course, yes, they do. So it's, it's in a sense, it's both, you know. All right. Whoops, wrong one. Get it here. Forget that I'm not using my computer. There we go. Verses 13 and 14. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing 
that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. Now, this, uh, as it is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, is from Psalm 116 in verse 10. The psalmist said, I was, I was in great affliction. I was greatly afflicted, but I believed and therefore I spoke. And then he goes on, what he spoke was praise to God and uh, testimony before the people. He says the people usually refers to the fellow Israelites. And um, he also called upon God for help. So the psalmist is saying, well, I was greatly afflicted, and, and I don't even remember, I don't even know if he said in Psalm 116 what his particular affliction was or what his circumstance was, but he was having a hard time. And, and it really doesn't matter to us because we have hard times from various causes. We get sick. We have physical afflictions. We get old. We, uh, and we'll talk about that in a few verses too. Um, we get older. Um, we have difficulties with people, uh, with family, with just different things. That, uh, things come that are hard and we feel like I'm greatly afflicted. But because we believe God's word, we believe all that is true. We do believe true things about God. You know, believing true things about God is important. Jim Berg likes to talk about that. His whole series of, of God is more than enough, which he, he brings out then sort of recaps in uh, Quieting a Noisy Soul, that series that he did. And believing true things about God, that God, uh, you know, will, will always be, you know, will always have enough grace for us. And God is always good. And uh, God always knows what's best for us. And God is always at work in my life. And God is always sovereign over the events of my life. And things like that. The things that are true about God. And as we believe those things, that enables us, one, to call on God for help. You know, if we don't think that God will help us, if we don't believe that God will help us, if we don't believe what is true about God, then we aren't going to be inclined to call on him for help. You know, if we, have, if we have a false picture of God, if we have a false idea in our head about what God is like, and we think, well, a false idea about and we think God really is not sovereign. God really can't. Uh, he, God is trying to help me, but he can't. <laughs> what, what in the world I kind of idea is that about God? That's a nonsensical idea. You know, Sometimes people say, don't try, you know, you don't say I'm trying, you just either do it or not. Well, I don't know if that's true about us humans, because we don't have all power. I can understand why they tell you that, because sometimes saying I'm trying is a cop-out, which means I'm pretending I'm trying. But uh, with God, you know, really there is no such thing as God trying to do anything. God either does it, or he's pleased to do it, or he is not pleased to do it. And, and that's it. He, he does all his pleasure. Now, it is true that there are things God would like to do, but he has decided, you know, he has pleased him more. For example, not, not to do things against our, well, for example, God would like to save everyone. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that all are not going to come to the knowledge of the truth, are they? Though God would be pleased if they did, God knows that they won't. Because it has also pleased God to save those who are in Christ, and to save whosoever will that may come and, and place their faith in Christ. 
So, and so um, those who don't believe will not be saved. So in, the, in that sense, there are things we could say, well, wait a minute. Or you say, well, what about when Jesus looked over Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that, stonest, that kills the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered their chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Was God not trying to bless Jerusalem, but, but they wouldn't let him? If God had wanted to bless Jerusalem, he would have. He would have wanted to do that. He wished he could have do, done so consistent with his holiness and consistent with his righteousness, and consistent with his will and his plan, and he could have done so had they been willing. He, he, it was his will, it was his plan, it was consistent with his holiness not to bless them contrary to his holiness and so forth. Anyway, uh, so much for that. Let's not get, let me, I shouldn't get too bogged down in that. But the point is, we need to believe true things about God. God can help me. God will help me if I uh, ask according to his will and I ask in faith. And so, uh, because we believe true things about God and we really do believe them, we can call on him for help and uh, we can also praise him. And we can praise him by faith at times when uh, we, um, you know, we don't necessarily see the answers to our prayers yet. But we praise the Lord even um, when at the time things look rather dark and things look rather gloomy. And we've been praying and praying and praying for God to help us in some way or for God to give us something that we need or that we very much want which we think would be pleasing to him. But we don't have it yet. He hasn't helped us yet. And yet by faith, because we believe, therefore we can speak and praise God. As the psalmist said, and as the apostle here said, we believe and therefore we speak. We can speak praise to God. We can speak our request to God. And more immediately in the sense that he's saying here is, we can speak the good news of salvation. We can tell you about salvation through Jesus Christ. And we can tell you about the way of God. And this is how you ought to walk as Christians because we believe what God's word says. And we believe that God will honor his word. Would we share the gospel with people if we thought that God might not save them if they, uh, they called on him? Maybe they would... Uh, you know, we tell people, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And, um, you know, come to Christ in repentance and faith and he will save you from your sin. And if we didn't really believe that that was true, well, we wouldn't tell it to people, would we? We'd, we certainly wouldn't have the same zeal for that. Knowing, so what he believes, we believe this and we know it, that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. So we can speak, even though we're under threat of persecution, even though we might, Paul, now at the moment, I don't foresee this for ourselves under present circumstances, but things can change. But for the Apostle Paul, to speak the word of God might mean that the Jews will get you and do who knows what to you. And they tried to kill him more than once, almost succeeded but since I can, I can speak because I know that 
God will raise me up. As God raised up the Lord Jesus, he will raise us up. He's going to raise you up too and will present us with you. And that's good news too. That's really good news. You think of all the uh, Christian friends that we have that we're not with all the time. And it's good to know that we'll stand with them someday in heaven. And that's, that's very encouraging too. All right. Whoops. Again, forget which computer I'm using. There we go. Works fine when I push the right button. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So, the gospel is to spread to many, so that, in the end, it will be to God's glory to save many. I, some, some Christian teachers that I know and, and friends of mine and talk about, and I, not wrongly, I think rightly, they talk about how um, the whole plan of salvation is for the glory of God. And, and that's true. I mean, that's not a false statement at all. That's a true statement. It does multiple things that are all good. It's just good all the way around. But it is for God's glory. And you read Ephesians chapter 1, that long sentence, the longest sentence I'm told in the Bible in Greek, that uh, long hymn of praise there was a 14 verses long or something like that, where Paul talks about, you know, to the praise of the glory of his grace in which he has made us Uh, acceptable in the beloved and and so forth, made us accepted by God in the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, that over there in Ephesians chapter 1, it's all about what God is doing for those who believe in Christ for God's glory, for God's ultimate glory. And remember, it's not wrong or bad for God to seek his own glory. It's very correct and proper. He's God. For anyone else, for any of us to seek our own glory would be wrong, would be no true glory. But uh, for God, it is good and proper and right. It is the only right thing that he should seek his own glory because he is God and it belongs to him. So um, how does this work now? Well, the idea is so that um, you know, all things are for your sakes, he's saying. So in other words, we... Paul and Timothy and Silas and Titus and anyone else who's sincerely preaching the gospel and sharing the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ by grace through faith is doing this for the sake of these believers, yes, but for the sake that they may believe so that God's grace may work in them and may be effective in them and save them and make them like the Lord Jesus Christ so that they all may give thanksgiving, the more the better, as they're saved by the grace of Christ and they're made like Jesus by the grace, uh, by the grace of God and they give thanks by the grace of God and ultimately will praise God around his throne someday, all of us, all to the glory of God. And uh, so it's interesting, the things that we do that are for the glory of God but that's not the first thing you think of. Like, we share prayer requests. Uh, I was, uh, you know, we were talking last night about uh, a pastor friend we know up in Ohio who is, uh, is very sick and is in the hospital and uh, you know, praying for him. And we pray for uh, Brother Nichols um, up there that, that God would heal him. But, and we think, oh, we're doing that so that Brother Nichols 
we'll get better and we'll be able to get out of the hospital. Yes, yes, but also so that when God does answer prayer, we and everyone else who has been praying for it will recognize, hey, God answered that prayer. God did that. And then we'll give thanks to God and God will be glorified. So we actually share prayer requests so that God will be thanked and glorified by more people. And we share the gospel. Why do we share the gospel? Well, because we want those people to go to heaven. We don't want those people to go to hell. Well, it's true. We do want those people to go to heaven. We don't want them to go to hell. And God feels the same way about it. In fact, I, say, I feel that way for his sake. You know, Loving people for Christ's sake reminds me of the story of this young man who, who meets a, he's a young single guy, and he meets a, a young single young woman who he's quite taken with. And... Uh, and uh, Someone in conversation, uh, it comes out that the young, the young lady likes cats. And uh, the person turns to the young man, who's recently been quite taken with this young lady, and, and he says, do you like cats? And the young man says, I do now. And, <laughs> uh, well, we're, we're kind of that way. Fortunately, Leah doesn't like cats either. <laughs> she does? Okay, but she's allergic to them. Well, anyway... Um, so praise the Lord. But <laughs> anyway, um, no, if she liked cats, I'd like them too. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, we love people because the Lord Jesus loves them. He loves them and he wants them to go to heaven. So we love them and we want them to go to heaven too. But it's true, we share the gospel with them for that cause, but ultimately so that they will be saved and the grace of God will work in them and they will give thanks to God and God will be glorified in the whole thing. So we do it for that reason too. All right, moving on now to some of my favorite territory in the whole thing, in the whole Bible. This is a, just a favorite verse of mine. Therefore, verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. A number of years ago, I was reading 1984, Ugg. It's a very dark, nasty book, and uh, very unpleasant about uh, a future dystopia, a dystopian futuristic uh, fiction, which is really, I don't like to read I like to read books with happy endings, like the Bible. But uh, it's got a happy ending for sure. But um, there's a scene in there where the hero in 1984, it's not really a hero, he's sort of the protagonist, I guess, really. He's, uh, he is being put to the torture in, in very fiendish ways by the evil, evil villain. And... Uh, or he has been, and the evil villain calls the protagonist's attention to the fact, look, your body is practically destroyed. You're, see, see this, this shows that you're defeated, and this shows that uh, you, um, no, you're just defeated. You're, you've lost. You've totally lost, because look, you're, you're, you've been made, within a matter of a few weeks of torture, you've been made into practically an old man of extremely advanced age, and, and you're just, you're, you're a wreck. Your body's a wreck. And reading that, well, first of all, um, Orwell, George Orwell, which is a, uh, 
a pseudonym for, I think the guy's name was actually Eric Blair, a British, uh, I think World War II veteran who wrote that, but under the pen name George Orwell, Orwell but uh, Blair alias Orwell, he was not a believer. I don't know, he probably knew something about the Bible, I guess most people back then had heard something about it, but he, I don't know if he knew this verse, but this verse came to my head right away. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. That's the answer to that. So yeah, so the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. And uh, yeah, this whole body's going to go the way of all flesh. If the Lord Jesus doesn't come back first, you know, um, I've, I've had sort of one of my, my gloomier sayings with which I, I uh, dampen my wife's good cheer sometimes is, is basically uh, at least all of life or at least all of life after you reach adulthood, physically speaking, is a rear guard action against death. You know, the rear guard is, the, you know, when an army is in retreat, the rear guard goes, is last in the retreat. And they're fighting off the pursuing enemy, just trying to keep the enemy at bay. And there's a sense in which, as to our physical body, all, of, all those things, well, eat right and, and exercise and, you know, get all your good medical care and do all those things you're supposed to do. And you know, maybe you'll fight off the process of physical decay a little bit longer. But it is a fact that our physical body, our outward man, our outward man is perishing, our physical body is perishing here, and this does not mean necessarily dying under torture like uh, Winston Smith, right, in 1984. Um, It doesn't mean that necessarily. It doesn't mean like being put to death like, uh, well, the Apostle Paul, we believe to the best of our knowledge, we're not told in Scripture, but what we believe from extra-biblical sources is that the Apostle Paul was beheaded for the testimony of Christ. It doesn't necessarily mean that. That's more, you know, at one time. It, uh, it doesn't take as long to get beheaded, you know. But this is more like what we go through when we're, when we're living. Uh, someone said once to Ken Ham, the, the head of Answers in Genesis, you've probably heard of him, Someone said, well, you know, when you get to be 40, then you're really living. And uh, Ken Ham said, no, when you get to be 40, then you know you're really dying. Uh, Ham is, is Australian. But he doesn't have near as much of an Australian accent as his, as his uh, late brother. I think his brother has passed away. And his brother had a much more of a... Ham has been living in the United States for like 40 years or some such thing. Anyway. But no, you know... Our, our physical body is declining, and we, as, uh, as Tennyson had his character Ulysses say in the poem, we are not now what we once were, and we can't run as fast as we used to. Maybe we can't run at all, uh, or we daren't, or, or we pound our body to pieces, and we have this, that, or the other thing that doesn't work as well as it used to, and we're thankful for the systems that do still work. Well, that still works. Praise the Lord for that, anyway. But our outward man is perishing. And that's just the way it is in this veil of sorrows. But our inward man is renewed, being renewed day by day. And God is doing it. He's renewing our inward man. And, uh, And this, what a blessing this is to know. So though we should be taken by 
the enemies of God and put to the torture, even if that were to happen to us, as has happened to some. And if our physical bodies were to be wrecked, or if they are wrecked by the ravages of age, whether in short time or long time, someone says it's not, it's not the years, it's the mileage, um, but uh, whatever the physical processes may cause us not to be as, as uh, vigorous as we used to be, our inward man can still be being renewed by God's grace working in us. And so we don't lose heart. Oh, there are so many reasons to lose heart, aren't there? It's, it would be so easy to lose heart. Because we pray and pray and pray for some things that we very much want to see. And, and we think God would be pleased by it. We think they're according to God's will. And it doesn't happen. And the thing doesn't happen. Our unsaved love, loved one doesn't believe. Uh, or, or doesn't, whatever. And, or our own circumstances don't change. Or we, we suffer difficulties. Or hardships or what have you. Our country continues, as it seems, on a downhill path, and it only seems to get worse. So we could be tempted to lose heart so easily, but we don't lose heart. And if you look at what the Apostle Paul says here, verse 16 is the crescendo. It's the, uh, you know, it's the maximum volume of a repeated message of we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. And here's why. So we don't lose heart not merely because we have a glorious ministry. In verse 1 he says, Therefore, since we have received this ministry, we faint not. We don't lose heart. So God has given us a glorious thing to do for him. God has given each of us a glorious thing to do for him. If, if we are believers, God has given us something glorious to do for him. You might think, well... Um, but, but the only thing God's given me to do is this thankless task of uh, whatever the thankless task is. Uh, working in, in you know, some dirty job or some unpleasant job. Or, or uh, what has my job got to do with, with doing it? You can glorify God in that job and you can be a witness to others and to your family. And that's a glorious ministry. So we don't faint. Not just because God's given us a glorious ministry. Not merely because God has shown the light of his knowledge in our heart. In verse 6, he's shown the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in our hearts. So we faint not. So we don't lose heart. You know, God has given us the knowledge of salvation. Somehow God caused somebody who knew the way of salvation to come and tell it to us. In many of our cases, it was our parents. Not all of our cases, though. Uh, our, our parents told us what a thing that is. Or if it wasn't our parents, you know, in my case, it was my parents. My father's case, I've probably told you this story before. I talk about my dad a lot. But uh, there was a, a, a lady in the Lima, Ohio, Free Methodist Church who, um, this is back in the 1940s, uh, she paid a taxi cab every Sunday morning to come and pick up those Woodworth boys who lived, I mean, not, not just on the wrong side of the track, but so far on the wrong side of the track, you couldn't hear the whistle blow very much anymore, and uh, lived in Shantytown. 
and go over there and pick up the Woodworth boys, and uh, that's my dad and his brothers, and bring them to Sunday school and church every Sunday morning. And so they heard the gospel. And you think of the ways that God brought, the things that God did to bring the gospel to us. And then his Holy Spirit enlightened us. We heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit spoke to our hearts and said, that's right, and you need to flee from the wrath to come. And, and he revealed Christ to us from heaven, as the saying is, but it's true. And, and so God caused the light of the knowledge of, of, of his glorious salvation and the knowledge of Christ to shine in our hearts. So that's another good reason not to lose heart, not to give up. But not merely because of that, but not merely because though persecuted and afflicted ourselves, we see the results of our ministry bring glory to God and others. And that's verse, verse 15 there. So, yeah, we suffer, but we see how other people are being helped. We see God working in other people. But we don't lose heart also because our decaying mortal body is only external. And there's a spring of life uh, from God, now, not of ourselves, but from God and the Holy Spirit indwelling the heart of every believer. Right? If any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And so the Holy Spirit within us is a spring of life that can never fail. And that new life comes to us from God through Christ. So uh, our inward man is being renewed day by day. So, well, what, what can we say to these things? Indeed, I mean, it's uh, kind of to jump over to another one of Paul's apostles. If God be for us, who can be against us? What shall we say to these things? Um, we're more than conquerors through Christ. And this verse is tremendously encouraging to me. So, whoops, once again, we forget what computer we're using. All right, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For our light affliction, indeed. How light was that, Paul, this light affliction? Well, over in chapter 11, the Apostle Paul shares with us some of the light aspects of his light affliction. He was frequently imprisoned. Now, how many of us have been imprisoned for the testimony of Jesus Christ? I'm going to guess that the majority of us here in the room have not been jailed for uh, the testimony of Christ. Paul was frequently imprisoned, and it wasn't very nice prisons. He was often in peril of death. Now, this was from various causes. He did a lot of traveling, and traveling in those days was not safe like it is now. Traveling, there were river crossings. The rivers did not necessarily have bridges. So you might have to ford the rivers, but they might be a little deep, or they might rise while you're fording them, or you might fall in it, you might step in a hole. Your horse might step in a hole, or uh, all sorts of things that might happen while you're crossing a river, and you might drown. There were bandits on the road. Now, they wouldn't necessarily kill you because you of your faith in Jesus, they just kill you because they wanted your money and uh, it was easier to take while you were dead. 
And so there were bandits on the roads. You're always at risk when you're traveling. When you got to town, you were safe from those things, but Paul wasn't safe because there he did suffer for his testimony for Christ. Of course, even when he was traveling, and he was in danger of the bandits, he was traveling for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in town, he was in danger from the Gentiles. Uh, he was in danger from his own countrymen, the Jews. You know, the Jews were forevermore trying to get Paul killed, laying in wait for him stoning him, beating him, uh, get, trying to get the Romans to kill him, taking unto themselves certain, certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Uh, I, I like that. Uh, there's, that's the old King James uh, wording of what they did. I forget it was a Thessalonica or something. That the Jews were unhappy with Paul. They were always doing things like that. And then he said he was also in danger from some who, were, who apparently called themselves Christians. He says, from false brethren. Now, since he's already said, from my own countrymen, in that list over there in chapter 11, I assume that when he says, from false brethren, he's not talking about Jews as brethren. He's talking about people who claim that they're Christians. Yeah, they had that going on back then. you know. And, and I'm not saying that everybody who says he's a Christian is, is false by no means, but there are people running around claiming to be Christians and and uh, would persecute us. And I, I think when pers- if, if it comes to this and we have more full-blown persecution in this country, they're going to say, we're not persecuting you because you are Christians. We're persecuting you because you are extremists and because you are radical and so forth. Uh, that for another day. But anyway, he says, on five occasions he received 39 stripes, stripes, i.e. lashes with a whip. 39 lashes. Um, the Jews were forbidden by the Mosaic law from giving as many as 40 stripes or 40 lashes at one time. So they give you 39. Uh, it's some comfort that they don't give you that 40th lash. Um, five times he got that. His back must have been crisscrossed with scars. On three occasions, he was beaten with rods. I guess the Gentiles did that. I don't know. One, and who, I don't know how many times they hit him with the rods. You know, they're beating him with clubs. Once he was stoned, that was mentioned in the book of Acts, and he was left for dead there at um, Lystra, I want to say. Left for dead after being stoned. They thought he was dead, and the disciples were standing around crying, like, oh, Paul's dead. And Paul gets up and walks into the city. He was stoned. That wasn't very fun. He was shipwrecked three times. You notice the book of Acts doesn't tell us all of these stories. Uh, Some of this, I guess, just routine stuff, you know, just everyday stuff along the way. Well, we were traveling and we got shipwrecked, including floating around in the ocean for a day and a night. A night and a day I was in the deep, he says, which really isn't covered in the story of the time he was shipwrecked on the island of Melita or Malta. So it must have been another time. Just all in uh, making the trip from one place to another. Your ship sinks and you're hanging on to a piece of wreckage floating around in the Mediterranean Sea for about 24 hours. Because, you know, it's just part of traveling, like stopping at a stoplight or something. He also suffered fatigue, hunger, hunger, thirst, and lack of adequate shelter and warm clothing. And those are just the physical things he suffered. There was also, he said, the care of all the churches. And there's the uh, mental burden that, burdens that we bear, which sometimes can weigh 
well, they seem to weigh more heavily than the physical ones, although I suspect we feel that way at times when the physical ones are not weighing in at their heaviest. Uh, but at any rate, but yeah, you know, there are times just the, the, the emotional burden of um, thinking about people that we care about who uh, are not right with God or, or whatever, or problems with people and so forth, weighs heavily on us and um, all those things. And that, he says, is our light affliction. It's momentary, he says. It's but for a moment. He says it is working. It is accomplishing. It is uh, making for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And the Greek here is a sort of Greek influenced by Hebrew, the translators say. You hear this from someone who speaks neither language, speaks nor reads neither language, but the commentators are helpful. And um, it's working for us an ex- uh, a very exceedingly excessive weight of glory. Uh, it's using the same, uses a form of the same word to emphasize, you know, it's exceedingly excessive. It's exceeding to excess uh, uh, the weight of glory that we have. And what is a weight of glory? Think how much glory, what does glory weigh? And, and how much of it would be a weight? And, uh, and what does it feel like? I have felt so little of it, of God's glory sometimes when the Holy Spirit uh, seems to flood your soul and you feel that emotional response to God uh, witnessing to your soul. I have felt so little of it that it's so hard to say. Maybe it just doesn't have any human way to define it more closely than that. But it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And how can our affliction be light? All those things, and that's light affliction. Verse 18 tells us why. Because we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of what you look at. You know, I say, I don't know that I would try this. They say if you hold, is it a quarter? Up like that at arm's length, it will just cover the disk of the sun. Now, I wouldn't want to do that because uh, you might wind up looking at the sun, which is not good for your eyes. But a quarter is not as big as the sun. The sun is much, much bigger than a quarter, isn't it? Vastly so. There's really no comparison. A quarter is, is not really measurable next to the sun by any unit that you could measure the sun. But from where you have a perspective, it looks bigger. For us, the physical problems of this world, little things, trivialities like being shipwrecked, beaten, attempted murder, things like that. I'm being a little facetious, but it all was real in Paul's case. The things that we suffer in this life are so close, and eternity seems so far away in heaven and God's throne and God's God's actual direct presence. We know God's present with us here, right? But someday we're going to be where we can actually see him face to face. And we can perceive his presence directly. But that seems so far away, like 93 million miles only farther, like the sun, that the physical problems, the suffering, the difficulties, the pain 
our light afflictions, which are really but for a moment, seem bigger than God's glory and God's presence and all those things. Well, we need to have a right perspective. We need to correct our perspective, you know, and put the quarter down and not hold that in front of our eye or whatever, um, so to speak, to, to use that analogy. The things that you're seeing are temporary. And everything we see, all the physical things of life, all the stuff that we have, all the stuff that we want and can't get, all the circumstances that we want to bring about on this life, those are all things, if they're, they're not seen yet, but they could be seen. The changes in the circumstances that we have, we see the circumstances that we have. We want them changed. Those circumstances are seen. They're temporary. People, money, situations, even churches here, all these things are things that we see. And all the things that we see are things that belong just to time. They don't belong to eternity. They're just temporary. So it's just like a moment. We can endure these things, and they can seem light to us because they're just temporary. They just pass by. And I remember reading about a runner who said, uh, it's coming to a point where, of recognizing that in, in one minute, uh, the race would be over. And to get to the finish line in one minute, and he tells himself, I can take anything for a minute. Well, I'll admit, there have been some minutes in my life, including the final minutes of certain races, that I wished very much were over. But uh, when you can put it in the perspective, it's only a minute, it will be over. Of course, our life is a lot longer than a minute, but it's not eternity. And whatever may be in this life of suffering, of things that are not at all to suit us or how we would like, we can take comfort in the fact that these things are temporary. And when we have the right perspective to view them as such, we can see them as light and momentary afflictions. Because the things that you're not seeing, God, his throne, the presence of his glory, us with him before his throne, together with the angels and the spirits of just men made perfect and all those things that we don't see now and can't see now, those things are eternal. They belong to the world to come. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these reminders from your word and these encouragements for us not to lose heart, but to push on and to, uh, to serve you faithfully and uh, to be strong in our spirit as we think about what you have done for us and are doing for us and what you will yet do for us. We pray now that you would bless us in the service to come. Be with your servant as he opens your word and and, uh, teaches it to us and help us to learn and profit from the hearing of your word today. We pray in Jesus' name.